From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Uh, I don't think we've ever interviewed a poet on this uh, program before, but uh, I I was handed Richard Kenny's book, and it was intriguing because it doesn't really match my conception of poetry in just the range of things that it, uh, it, it discusses, and the fact that even as a modern poet, you use rhyme a lot. So uh, I really wanted to meet you. You teach, uh, Richard, you teach at the UW, right? I do. Yeah. You uh, receive one of those MacArthur Genius Grants. It's not an expression that my family likes to use much, but I, yeah, you're right. Right. And and so, I mean, you've you've achieved a lot of uh, respect. I, I took this note down. Uh, one of your critics called you gorgeous, exact, difficult to penetrate. So what I want to know is, how when you're a poet and you're and you're writing these things and you and you and you said before that when you write you don't think of anything is that fair to say um, i'm i'm not quite sure how to take that I, I i'm i don't i don't i don't know how to answer that exactly i've read in one interview you we, somebody asked you you know what do you think about and you said you think about nothing oh uh, Jake, Jake Uti, yeah he asked what i would what do i worry about yeah and i i guess that's that was easier to answer. I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I worry about anything because I'm just thinking about I'm just working on the poem. But I think that's like anybody who has uh, uh, any kind of trade where you you you're concentrating. I suppose like athletes call it flow or something like yeah. that. If you're lucky. So at what point do you know you're good at it? Boy, you know, Elliot, Elliot looked at the ceiling and wondered if he was any good at it. I, I. Uh, Sometimes when I finish a poem, and it, especially if if it uh, if the muse has written most of it, um, Robert Graves has a great uh, a great suggestion that uh, the muse will give you half the poem. Maybe let's say the muse gives you a stanza for free, but the poem has to have three stanzas, and you have to make the other two by hand. And uh, so it's up to you to try to make them well enough so that m- most people can't tell which one you wrote and which one got written for you. And uh, you know, sometimes they feel as though they're good, and I, 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 I kind of want my friends to smile. And other times, a lot of times, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. So, when you receive the MacArthur Grant, that comes out of the blue, as I understand it, right? You I, have no idea how you're nominated or anything like that. Not a, I had no, no notion. The, the check just shows up, and and you say, "Well, that's nice." Is there a ceremony of some kind? I mean, do you get an award ceremony? I, I was I was in Rome at the time. I'd spent a year at the American Academy in Rome and I got called into the got called into the kitchen to take a phone. I was worried because in those days nobody made transatlantic calls. Yeah. I was afraid something had happened at home. And a voice I I could barely hear because of the clanging of cutlery and the, you know, the 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 steam table uh hissing. Uh, somebody was suggesting that I would, had won some had won an award in Chicago. I couldn't believe it. Um, there was no ceremony. There was in those days they had reunions every eighteen months, and they would fly you to Chicago, and you get to listen to these people talk. And uh, that was one of the great joys of my life. Actually, I, the first time I showed up, I I presume that they had made an error. Everybody feels that like that, I guess. And well, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I met some people who didn't feel like that at all. They wondered why it took so long to get the call. But I, uh-huh. I, I, I sort of felt like maybe the lightning was meant to strike the guy next to me, and so I, I, I kept quiet and 
listened at the edge of the firelight for a couple of years, but um, a great joy meeting these people. You know what? It, it gave you the chance to, there aren't many places where you can walk up to somebody who's at the top of their field and ask them a simple question, even a stupid question. Uh-huh. Even at the university, it's hard because the membranes that separate departments are a little a little impermeable. But anyway, that's how it worked. So what do you consider your, your job to be as a poet? Ken, that's a hard question. I don't, I don't think of it that way. I don't think the world is waiting for my poems, that's for sure. I don't think it's up to me to crank them out and, you know, turn. Get, I'm not production-minded if that's what you— I, I mean, do, do you do it because you have to? I or? do it because I, I, think, I think in some ways, I mean, I would like to say that in some ways it's a little melodramatic for me. I do it because I feel like it. I, it's something that gives me pleasure to do. And uh, I, I feel as though uh, it uses the best of me up. Uh, uses the best of you up. Are, well, you, are you tired after you write a poem? I'm sorry, maybe not up. I mean, I mean you know, if, if, we're, if we're plugs that go into a socket and the world is the socket, um, sometimes not all of our prongs get fully engaged of the world, you know, and I feel like the best of my mind is is engaged at that point. Maybe because I'm not thinking about anything else when I'm doing that. I don't know. I should give people some examples here, so we know what we're talking about. And I I, uh, I highlighted a few uh, in your book, and this this one appears to be about you teaching a class, a tattered coat. Here arrayed in Kevlar tweed, hectoring students concerning a screed about which none of them cares a fig, he mildly envies the thingmajig they've hidden to diddle and swipe in their laps, wishing his lecture were one of their apps. (laughs) There's a certain bitterness there. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I think it's good humor. (laughs) So... is that like a, a a come down, or does does it depress you if you if you taught a class? Here you are, this award winning poet, and and you you pour yourself into a poem inspired by a muse, and some kids fiddling with his iPhone. Well, you know, I, I uh, um, no, I take it it's all part of the rock and roll of life, isn't it? I mean, I'm a I'm a stuffed shirt, and I'm an old guy, and you, the students have other things to think about. Some of them, some of them like to think about what I like to think about. You, you never. You never know, but I do have a. I like light verse. I I and I like writing, and it gives me pleasure. I mean, that's no deep poem. I I wrote that to make my friends smile, mm-hmm. and because it made kind of made me smile. Yeah. Um. I don't. So you do you teach? Can you teach people to write good poetry? You know. You know when they they say that that the opposite of an unimportant truth is false and. And but for the great ones, the opposite is equally true. I mean, men are angels, men are beasts, and and uh, poets are born and not made. Shakespeare said that, uh, and yet it's an art, and there's no art on earth that you don't have to learn. So maybe it can't be taught, but maybe you can save the students some time. That's kind of what I th- I uh-huh. think. Uh, you ha- there are many things that ha- that have to be learned. Poetry is awkward because of all of the arts I can think of. It's, it is the, one of the most confused. Um, the, my, my brilliant graduate students come to me, and I ask them, if I ask them, what is the art of poetry? What do you need to learn? They'll look at me, and they'll ask me to please change the question because it seems unanswerable. Whereas if, if, a music, if, a, if at the Juilliard, when the musicians show up, they say, sit down, and hold, this is how to hold the violin. And uh, if you go to cooking school, they'll say, you know, Sit down, put on an apron. This is the flour. This is the butter. 
and and there's no art there's no, nothing on earth that is so important that it can be done badly are there not some kind of a isn't there some kind of systematic way of approaching uh its education with poetry is and i think it happened to music and painting too in some sense in the last century it, it drifted so far from technique and so so if if there's an opposition between let's say craft or technique at one end and pure inspiration and you know the gods on the other the slides are on some of these arts are all the way over away from technique and so uh technique is pretty optional i mean most of my students don't make rhymes but when i started none of them did and now some of them do mm-hmm. well i remember there was there's certainly a time when when uh, I actually heard a couple of poets talking and said, why am I wasting all my time trying to figure out what rhymes with enough and when it doesn't have to do with, with what I want to communicate, you know? So why do you, why do you think it's important? Why do you think the rhyme is still important? Well, uh, it's um, I, I, two, I would give two answers. One, it's kind of fun. I mean, that poem wouldn't have yeah. been any fun if it hadn't right. rhymed. I agree. I, yeah. I love rhyming, but I just noticed that uh, I, I love light verse, but yeah. you, you don't find much of it anymore. It's not considered serious enough. Well, I, you know, I, I'm with you, and so and many of my friends don't forgive me for all the light verse that I write. I mean, because they think that the job of a poet is to be to go back to your word is to be a little more serious than that. I mean, uh, uh, rhyme rhyme has two functions. One of them is is that it's it's simply fun. It's a form of music. It's it's poetry aping music. It's not as good as saxophone, but it it can be pretty pleasing. The other, but for the for the poet, it's useful because it's a it's a way of generating surprise on a regular basis. I mean, the scientists, you know, Eureka. That's what happens when something happens in the bathtub and or the apple falls on Newton's head and is a lucky accident. Well, lucky apple wasn't that lucky. Well, science unfortunately doesn't have a method of introducing lucky accident. It just has to wait for it. Whereas, in if if in a poem I'm I'm writing about. Uh, uh, wombats in uh, in Australia, and and I need a I'm I'm m- moving forward. Suddenly, I need a, a rhyme um, that my intellect, which is a kind of a Napoleon who imagines he's in charge of everything, will will say, "Well, let's see, we're in Australia now. We ought to be thinking about the outback and the the marsupial um, uh, creatures that involved uh, evolved uh, from the Gondwanan high veld." And meanwhile. My 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 random search is taking me anywhere that anywhere any and and it's simply a search for sound mm-hmm. and so and most of the most of the answers that would come back on wombat would be disastrous to my poor Australian poem. Um, Ninety nine out of a hundred would be fatal to the poem, but the one that isn't, I would never have found by any other means. And so it's a it's like a random number generator in an alg in an algorithm um, that. Uh, that needs to come up with something surprising. So what did you come up well. with for Wombat? I didn't. I just made, I, <laughs> oh, I, I you, you got to give me a little time here. I'm on the radio. I, I'll, I'll try, but. <laughs> All right. Here's, here's some, here's one that doesn't yeah. rhyme. And this is where you, you appear to uh, define the terms poet and critic poet. He's not commercial. He's a seeker after pearls, clamshell by clamshell. Clamshells don't have pearls. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, I know. And the stethoscope that you're coming to is right. an auditory instrument. Critic, abandon all hope, he mutters, peering darkly through the stethoscope. And, of course, you don't look through a stethoscope. So it sounds like both poet and critic are using the wrong tools or looking looking for love in all the wrong places. Um, I don't mind 
skewering poets, but I also <laughs> don't especially mind skewering critics. So when you when you read, I mean, you say that it's it's, it's tough to um, define how to educate a poet, but but clearly, just from hearing you talk, you have an incredible vocabulary, and that certainly comes out in the in the poems. Unless you're just sitting down reading the thesaurus all day, but I mean, you've got to read widely and. I assume keep your eyes open. Uh, are you are you constantly as you look around saying uh, how would I describe this scene if I were to write about it? What it smells like, what the colors are, things like that. I don't I don't know if I do do that um, unless I'm. I wonder. I suppose a photographer, a painter might might go through the world thinking, "Gee, I wonder how I would how I would handle that. What kind of brushstroke would would accomplish that leaf swoop?" I don't. But only if he's interested in doing it, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, words, you know, I get accused of using funny, strange words. and But why not? They're there. And and let's spade them up and get them back into circulation. I, I, uh, I, uh, I don't. Words are catnip, I, but writers, you're, you're a writer, you know this, you're the same. I'm, I'm a sure you writer find of words. news. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you're, but yeah, you're, a, you're also a songwriter and, and you, words, Words are catnip. You, you you can't help but like them. And when an interesting one comes along, well, you tuck it away. And I don't see any reason not to use them. You keep index cards or something? No, I don't. I just, uh, I guess if I if I come across an interesting word, maybe I tell my wife or daughter about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that grooves it <laughs> less and less now. I mean, I've, as my brain has become more of a, of a porous instrument. But um, I, sometimes I write them down. But I, I mean, I don't keep a lexicon. No, I don't. Yeah. Now, where do you write? I, I detect in some of these poems, you feel, uh, what, assaulted and distracted by the digital world. Uh, do, you, do you have a, a getaway or a, you know, a special place that you sit down to write? You know, it's interesting. When, when I was young, I had to, everything had to be just right. And so I would, I would have some kind of studio or I had to be alone. I had to, there could be music, but it couldn't have any words in it. Uh, and I couldn't be distracted. And, and now I mean, you, you get older, you know, things happen. You got a job and, and you get you have kids and, and dog, you know, the dog needs to be fed. And, and now I, I don't have any trouble kind of pulling an envelope around me almost anywhere and just sitting down and jotting something. So you don't isolate yourself, huh? Because there, there was a time when I would just sometimes to write a commentary, I would I would close the door for three hours. Yeah, and, you know yeah. the the kids. I would even tell my daughter sometimes, "I'm I'm not your dad at this moment." So you know, <laughs> go to mom if you have a problem. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I sympathize, and and if I'm working on something harder that I'm really excited about, I'm 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 alone. Um, the house works for me, but I've we've rigged our garage into a, an old garage into a kind of studio. So uh-huh. I, I do use that for me, The one thing for me as important as solitude for writing and, and solitude is the awful thing about writing. I mean, writing is a wonderful art. All you need is a pencil. You don't need all this video equipment and everything. If you think about the trappings and the tackle that a painter has to carry with him or let alone a videographer, all you need. But on the other hand, it's solitary. It's, it's, uh, it's lonely. That's why teaching, it was fun for me when I finally got a chance to close up my umbrella and come in out of the cold and, and teach. Because the first year of, of teaching at the University of Washington, I, I kept thinking, I'm, I, I'm doing the wrong thing. I'm, what's the matter? I'm talking to people. I'm with people having <laughs> kind of having a fun conversing. And then yeah. I would remember, oh, that, that's my job. What I was about to say, though, is the morning is the, I'm, 
it has to be the morning for me uh, for poems. I can write prose. I can write prose into into the afternoon, sometimes into the evening, and I I don't mean to valorize poetry over prose in that respect. I just I never uh, I never surprise myself in poetry once the uh, there, who's the fig there's a figure of the the fresh snowfield and once the dogs have urinated on the lampposts and the news the postman has come through and you know the, there are tracks all over it I, I kind of have to catch the snowfield fresh, fresh. to write yeah. Uh, but the students can be a source of inspiration, can't they? Oh, yeah. I mean, I honestly, that's been the great gift. I, I was so glad to get this job. I was 40, you know, and I, 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 I came late to the university. And I you didn't start l- teaching until you were 40? Uh, you know, I, I, I started here, yeah, about that. So you were I, just making a living off poetry? No, it's no poetry. I mean, I, I did some teaching on the side, yeah. but I did, every, I did all kinds of other stuff. I mean, I, I drove a school bus to begin with. I worked in a sawmill. I did this and that. I, see, I didn't go to grad school. So, uh-huh. uh, so I kind of my credential had to be books, and, and I eventually got them. So, so then which came first? The poetry came first and then the, the uh, job? I mean, but working, I don't picture a poet working in a sawmill. Or, yeah, well, or, I mean, look at me. You know, I'm dressed like a yeah, here you are. stuffed shirt professor, but I, you know, I—, I not in those days. Um, I wanted to be a po- I wanted to be a poet, and the deal I made with myself when I graduated with college, from college was to see whether I could be. And I I knew that <laughs> I knew that I was enough of a Cub Scout to salute anybody's flag but my own. And so I kind of made a deal that I wouldn't do anything that anybody else thought was too important for a, until I could determine whether or not I I actually had the what it took to be a, a writer, and. I sort of imagined there'd be some moment when I would know. And years went on, and, you know, and I was doing jobs. The idea is that the shaving mirror can be an, an accusatory uh, instrument that will help you write. Because if you're not writing and you've, your parents have paid for this great education, uh, what are you doing? Well, I'm rolling logs in a sawmill at night. Okay, you know, that, but that's okay. nothing wrong with that, but it's not something that took all of my you know, talents. And, and, uh, and I think that pressure was useful for me. I have to say, I really do. I, th- I'm, I think if I had gone into an, a job that I would like teaching, for example, that I, where I, that I thought was important and worthy and all of that, I would, would probably have put more of my time into that. So you, so you deliberately stayed away from, uh, from teaching and did something completely unrelated to poetry just to force yourself to be a poet? Well, it wasn't teaching. It was more, more like I just decided to live on the cheap. And I lived yeah. in the country in Vermont and and see if I could write and not get too involved in a career of some other kind yeah. until I sort of saw whether or not it was going to work for me because I didn't want to wake up you know, not having tried. And on the other hand, I wound up spending a, a lot of uh, months, maybe years, maybe, you know, staring at the ceiling in the middle of the night wondering what was going to happen. But uh, I just wanted I just wanted to try. Did you know, you, when you're did young, you, you're crazy. You jump off a cliff. Sure. It's going to be fine. Did you ever contemplate giving up? Well, I contemplated needing more money a lot, and <laughs> so that, and and uh, I wasn't quite sure where that was going to come from. Um, what, what are the options open to a, a word type person? You can, you can journalism would have been a possibility. I don't, I don't think that I. Have that would have beaten the poetry of, right out of you. Well, I don't know that I had the mind, for, you know, the chops for it. Uh, at any rate, I, I wanted to put, I thought little enough of my own powers 
that I decided that I'd better put poetry first during that time. Because if I gave the best of me, those morning hours, for example, yeah. to somebody else, if I sold them, then uh, I would never know. I never thought of it that way. So when when did you, how long did it take you? And once you decided, okay, I'm it's it's poetry or bust. When did you finally get that first paying poetry job? Well, I wrote I wrote pretty seriously for six years before anybody would publish anything. And at the, and then uh, Poetry Magazine took a long, quite a long sequence, and that was a big boost. And uh, and then uh, my book was chosen for the Yale series of Younger Poets, and that was a that was my first book, and that that really was the um, that that made the difference for me because at that point I had a book and I could plausibly yeah put myself forward. And then you, um, I read that you <clears throat> you went dark for a few years. After writing the invention of the zero, <laughs> well, um, life obtrudes. Uh, I maybe I I can take that darkness a couple of different ways, and some of them I'm not going to confess. Uh, but I I didn't publish a book for 15 years after that. But I, you know, on the other hand. I mean, the sciences have sort of been ruined by requiring people to publish every 15 minutes. And so they take the smallest publishable increment and publish it. And now we'll, we, there won't be any more Darwins. You know, somebody who takes a couple of decades to write something in, in the sciences. And, and uh, I, I just uh, maybe and I think maybe it was bad because look at that book you're holding. It looks like a doorstop. It's gigantic. And, <laughs> and that's another 15 years work. Anyway, this, it, this book is not doorstop size. Please. <laughs> okay, okay, but but it did take it took fifteen years. Well, uh, you know, yeah. those the earliest poems in that. We're talking about uh, Terminator, by the way, which is uh, Richard Kenny's latest book. Book. Um, it, it might have made more sense to publish more frequently, fewer poems more frequently. I frankly haven't thought as much about publication as I might have. I've, I love writing the poems. I I don't much like. Uh, shopping them around, yeah. It, it, it that's a different person. I mean, in some ways, it's a a, a poet's mind in that respect is a, some mer- kind of marriage between John Keats and and George Patton. I mean, Keats writes the poems, but it takes Patton to break down oh, doors, and it, that part of it is no. Well, fun I mean, for these me. days you can just publish online and get all the exposure you want if you don't want to be paid for it. Well, you know, yeah. and maybe that, and I think that's a pretty good way to do it too. Actually, that the poems are online. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here's another one. Um, and this must have been inspired by your students. Uh, it's titled, Ask Me Anything. Half a dozen boys surround her, laughing uproariously. They egg each other on. They make improper suggestions, which she counters, with impertinent repartee from Cupertino. We're not afraid for her. She's Oberon. She's Circe. She's Siri. Who knows we know no misery. The whole thing gets repetitive. The voice changes. Now we're afraid for the boys. Did the did Siri turn on her tormentors? Is that what happened there? You know, I took that. I, I'm. I don't mean to or couldn't really explicate the poem, but the figure of boys surrounding a girl and the conversation getting sexual and their voices getting louder and maybe they're closing in a little bit. It's a horrifying figure. It's one we're pretty familiar with. Um, uh, the idea of that kind of a, an assault, which begins verbally and but moves into the endocrine system, pretty, and and uh, and and yet, if you ask if you ask uh, 
uh, naughty questions to the to the iPhone, it it chirps back. It's ready mm-hmm. for you. And I took that as a figure for ways in which we're all uh, in certain kinds of danger that uh, are maybe a little hard to we're, we're hard to anticipate. I mean, I've, to me, that 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 whole concept would explode out into the idea of uh, the face the problems with Facebook and the, and the elections. So um, the political uh, scene has become extremely interesting to me anyway. I'm curious how how a, a poet handles the uh, just the day to day developments in the news. Is that something you follow or do you immerse yourself in other things to, so as not to be, I don't know, tainted by it? No, I'm I'm electrified by it. My my what I do is I write I write satirical little satirical poems. I I wrote a bunch of poems under the general flag of commander and tweet. Right? <laughs> They're none of the commander in, I have some of them with me, but none of them are in that book. Yeah. Um yeah, I, I you know satire is the military wing of poetry and it it's it's intention what's wrong with it is that it's sure. And a, a real poem is not, but in too clear it, it knows absolutely what it wants, yeah. and it means to do something. It means, I mean, in some sense, it, in that sense, it's cognate with propaganda and advertising. You have some are, of those? I'm sorry? You want, you have some of those with you? Yeah, yeah. You want, pull, we'll pull a few of them out. Let's hear them. I mean, the point of a satire is to try to hurt somebody. Yeah. To try to damage, make people laugh at them. Um, Holly. You wouldn't read one with me, would you? I'd cheerfully read one with you. This yeah. is this is outside. Bertie Worcester would say this is outside the rabbit-proof fence <laughs> by some distance. Would you do this with me? Sure. This is this is in this poem. Mm-hmm. I I didn't know whether you'd be willing to do this. I I wrote this the other. You want me to do day. the part that's in the that's highlighted here? Yeah. How about how about how about you say deep and I say state. Okay. Every time that comes up. Every time it comes up. Okay. And then I'll read the, uh, I'll read the. You read the highlighted parts. Okay? okay. Now this is called. I'm. I hereby announce my candidacy for the presidency of the United States. And this is we're going to do a rally. Uh huh. And this is uh, Commander in tweets MAGA rag. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Deep state. Don't you know they're out to get me? Deep state. Here's the proof. They won't abet me. Man, they really do upset me. I'd arrest them. Law won't let me. I just hope it's not too late. Deep. State. They accuse me of malfeasance. On the truth, it's open season. Since it all amounts to treason. And they're up to here with hate. Deep. State. You're a Hoosier. You're a Hoya. You're a Hoosier from Astoria. Never mind. They're coming for you. With my head upon a plate. Deep. State. Oh, I'm sore beset by spies. Whistleblowers spreading lies. And I have a wild surmise about a 2020 day. Deep. State. Just because we're maybe hiding a little bit about Joe Biden. Now the whole house are all deriding me, deciding on my fate. Deep. State. It's all feeling pretty cooey. Buddy, when I find out who he is, his whistle goes kalablooey. That's a traitor's proper fate. Deep. State. Are my methods loosey-goosey? I could shoot him with an Uzi. I could grab him. Well, excuse me. Make America great. great. <laughs> well, that's pretty nasty. Well, maybe that's no, it's the... not. I've, I've heard a lot worse than that. Well, you, you, you're, you're, you know, you've been, you've been held up next to Tom Lehrer. I mean, I don't put myself By in who? that class. By who? Well, that's what I read. 
you, you have a taste for this kind of thing, I think. And and I sort of, but I this do, kind yes. of uh, versified satire is appealing to me. Yeah, it, it it is some outlet for me. You know, otherwise you can kind of just clench your fingers and get mad. And so I I get this is how I get mad. Yeah. So what's um what's next? You does a poet have goals beyond you know trying to put something either funny or deep on paper? You know, I'm I'm 71, and you you ask yourself, you know, what would you do? Uh, my teaching has really been important to me. I, I it's been the joy. I I we were circling around this earlier. When I got the job, I thought, my God, at last I have a salary. I have a way to support my family. Mm-hmm. And what I hadn't anticipated was how much uh, was what it would mean to me in the end. You know, you know when I was. I, young, I, as I said, I crawled into the bushes in in Vermont. I lived alone. I had some kind of Thoreauian dream, I, and I I did these laboring jobs and so forth. And there was this, a kind of a silly romance in that for me, but it also allowed me to live on very little money and try to write poetry. Um, at the time, it was pretty solitary, and and I I thought, wouldn't it be fun to be part of a school? You know, a I mean, uh, like, you know, the New York School or some, mm-hmm. or the Beats or something, you know, to be with a bunch of young poets who were all decided that they would shape the future. <laughs> right. They would they would be the next thing. Right. Hemingway in Paris. Or yeah, that yeah. kind of, yeah, to be a part of a group that kind of felt that they, they, the future was on their side. And I didn't have that. And, uh, I, so I, and I didn't really have, because I lived in this way, I didn't really have a poetic community. And because I was writing in the way that I was writing— uh, I mean, I, I was writing in rhyme and meter from the beginning, and that was far, way farther out of fashion then than it is now, and uh, and so I didn't have a I didn't have a community of of artists that I was, you know, we would drink whiskey. I not that I didn't drink whiskey late, but it wasn't with the poets talking about how we we're going to change the future. Yeah. So anyway, it turns out my community, my poetic community, came later. It's my it's my uh, the people that I've met. At, my my former students who are now teaching elsewhere and writing, I I love the way they think about poetry, uh, and that's been that's been my community, and it's been a it's been one of the privileges of my life. Mm. So you're not going to get the uh, what the leather paneled room with whiskey and cigars, but you, you you have a living legacy in your students, right? Like most teachers do. You know, I, I that's. I'll, uh, I would I would never claim you know that word legacy, but I have some friends, and they mean a lot to me. Richard Kenny is the author of Terminator Poems, two thousand eight to twenty eighteen. Delight to meet you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast, and. You can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's morning news? You can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's morning news. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.